This week, we talk about how to offer night and weekend support without burning out your team, what content should go on a blog versus a resource section, a book recommendation, and a bunch of other stuff. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler, and I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. This is an ongoing look into our journeys as founders. If you're a new listener and you want to catch up, check out the About page at startuptolast.com. What's up this week, Tyler? Not much. I feel like I say that every week. Uh, I'm feeling good. I, um, I've been doing like real design work for the first time in a while, which I just love. And um, a couple people, well, have, have been taking vacations at the company and they're back. It just kind of feels like we're, there was summer, there was a little lull, and now we're back to kind of really making progress on stuff. So I'm in a good mood. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> How are I you like doing? It. I'm good. I, I just came from an all-day meeting with, I mentioned in the last episode that I had some partner, some former partners coming in from Indiana, and that was really fun to meet with them and catch up. It's the first in-person meeting I think I've done in a year, it seems like. And yeah, uh, talk shop, caught up personally. Uh, it was really, it was really, really fun. I will say it has created a, a, a brain deficit for this episode. So if I, if I say anything stupid, uh, or don't make any sense, I blame it on, uh, I blame it on my friends. Do you feel like this would have been true when you were younger? Like that, uh, a se- seven hours of interacting with other people would have had you a little fried like you are now, or is this like an age thing? That's a great question. What, what uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I think I'm like pretty obviously leading towards what my answer would be, which is I think I had more endurance. Maybe not for that. I've never been a people person the way you are, but I'm more likely to get worn out by doing something, even if it's a good activity, than I used to be. The the thing that I noticed, if I compare like this meeting with a meeting I with the same people when I was younger in my career... The level of strategic thinking that happens and mm. the, t- the the complexity of the topics we're discussing at, you know, at now are are so much more brain intensive than the types of things we were discussing, you know, in my twenties. So I, I wonder if it's age or if it's the the, the knowledge, sort of the, the the scope and the and the context switching that you do when you're at a higher level. Yeah, that makes sense. The the wiser you are, the more kind of nuance you can bring to discussions like that. I had a sort of validating experience on this recently. I mentioned that Robert, who's he he recently took over as kind of the lead developer or whatever on our team, which really is like a management type position. He's now having one-on-ones with people and all that. Something that I'm a little embarrassed by is if I have a bunch of meetings, I, I just forget everything. I can't remember what like what we talked about or whatever. So if I have a one-on-one with everyone at the company, the next time I talk to them, I'm like, I can't remember what we talked about. And I was, Robert just did a day of one-on-ones with the dev team and he had the same experience and he's younger than me and all that. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's not just like me becoming, I, I realize I'm still young in the grand scheme of things, but I, I feared I had lost a step. And in fact, maybe what has happened is just my role has changed and it's, it's just a different thing now. It's a different kind of hard. Yeah. Cool. But you had a good, good time chatting with them and all that. You know, you never know when you commit to that amount of time with people and without a really crisp agenda or desired outcome, just, Hey, let's catch up and see if there's anything for us to do together. You never know if it's going to be a huge waste of time or if it's going to be a mutual beneficial, mutually beneficial time together that you just, you can't imagine not have had. It was definitely the latter for me. Like, and I hope for them too. I, I really, it got me thinking and excited and meeting with good people, develop the relationship further. I'm glad we, I'm glad they came out and I'm glad we, we spent the time together, but you never know, like going into those things, like you don't, you aren't nearly excited the day before those things as you are the the minute after. Yeah. And it's so hard because the ones that end up being good, you like, because you don't know, you can't just be like, well, I'm only going to take the ones that are good. Right. You have to take a lot of bad ones, bad discussions to, lead to the good ones. <laughs> totally. And you, you can, I, I wouldn't have committed an all day meeting with these guys if 
I didn't already have a good relationship with them and know that they weren't time wasters, but you still like, that's a big risk. You know, like, but we, we ran and we had, we ran out of time, honestly. It wasn't a, hmm. it wasn't uh we could have talked for, about some other things uh, for the rest of, for, for hours, but uh, it was, so it was good. I, one other thing that came out of it was I, I called um, Kiln, which is K I L N, which is the co-work kind of the top co-working space here in Utah and Colorado. And so they have three locations, one in, well, two current locations, one in Lehigh, which is kind of the Provo area where a lot of the big Utah tech companies are, one downtown Salt Lake, one in Boulder, Colorado coming. We may have just opened that one and they're about to open one in Park City. And so I was thinking about getting like a Pelta membership there uh, mm-hmm. so that, you know, if I had clients I wanted to meet or, you know, wanted to get out of the house, that kind of thing. Um, I was totally sold on it. It was a wonderful experience. Just awesome. Like, I guess it's like a WeWork. Um, yeah. I've never been in a WeWork, so I don't really know what to think about it. But I saw so many people I knew that I hadn't seen in years, like other tech entrepreneurs just hanging out, doing work. And the vibe was pretty cool. Hmm. I'm surprised to hear co-working spaces are populated right now. I don't know how to respond to that, but... Uh, I mean, I w- like you going there is one thing. Like, I, I wouldn't have done what you did, but you did. But, but like, you're not going there every day. For you to just bump into someone suggests they're going there every day, right? Not necessarily, or yeah, I, mean, I would probably. I could tell that I would bump into a lot more people if it wasn't COVID. There were a lot of empty yeah. seats, um, but there's a there, there's a lot of real companies there that I you know I met I met a lot of people through. Uh, I think it's more a function of how many people I know in that community from Panda Labs and some of the work I've done in the past recently than it is a, a indictment of them going into the. Breaking COVID rules. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sold, but okay. Uh, cool. Any Anything else kind of going on this last week? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, the kind of cool thing, we, we talked about separating the app. Like last week, you talked about se- separating your app from the WWW and how hard of a problem that was going to be with Webflow. It was kind of a rant. Um, I, I, for some reason... I woke up Saturday morning and said, started messing around on my computer with, kind of aimlessly. And then five hours later, I looked up and I sat, had separated the app from WWW for Leg Up Health. And uh, I, it's part of that. I also created infrastructure for legupbenefits.com. So you can now go to legupbenefits.com and sign up for request access to, to Leg Up Benefits. So what, what was basically playing around on the website turned into me solving this prob- the problem that you have for myself. <laughs> Why didn't you do it for me instead? <laughs> um, outside of, definitely outside of my wheelhouse. That's awesome. So you have three sub, well, you have two domains. You have legupbenefits and legupbenefits.com. And then on legupbenefits, you have two subdomains. So you have dub, 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 and then app dot. Is that what you went with? Yeah. And then I have a help dot, but I'm unsure. I'm uncertain if I want to keep help dot at help dot. And I may, I may want to move it to www dot. Well, that's related to something I'm about to talk about. Great. Let's so d- does this mean, well, b- before we do that, you have three separate, I realize you have one Webflow account, but you have three like quote unquote sites on Webflow now. Is that how that works? Yeah, I have three, three instances that I'm paying a monthly fee for. Um, I, it, so yeah, help, help dot help dot subdomain is hosted at Help Scout. Right, because I use them as the knowledge center. I'm probably going to switch to Intercom. Uh, we can talk about Why? that another time. Oh, Why? Yeah, I'm, yeah. It's it's kind of like is it too big of a rabbit hole to yeah, go into? Right yeah, now? it's good. It's a rabbit hole. <laughs> okay. Um, the, but but uh, eventually there will be an app from the very beginning with like a benefits. I'm going to build the product at app dot. So mm-hmm. if I do a Webflow stack for that, it'll be on Webflow. If not, it'll be on one of the third-party app providers, whether it's Adalo, Adalo, however you say that, and then or Glide or some other uh, platform. Gotcha. Cool. So what I was going to say that sort of relates to that is we, this week, shipped our first phase of the transition of going from www to basically using Webflow to host our marketing site. Um, We haven't actually changed anything on www yet. That's still hosted on our server. But our Webflow site is help.lessannoyingcrm.com, and we just moved the help part of the site there. 
Um, we're keeping all of the help articles on www for SEO reasons, and we are blocking Google cannot crawl help dot. So we basically have the the two in parallel. But if anyone go like clicks a link from in the app to the help stuff, it it goes to the new version. Um, so two things about that that are neat. One is it's kind of like the first step of moving towards Webflow, which feels like a nice accomplishment. Um, and then the other thing is we redesigned and re-implemented, like if you're in the app and you click help at the bottom, it's like on the sidebar at the bottom left, it opens a dialogue that it's like, do you want to contact us? Do you want to get help? Like, like search the help articles or whatever. So we completely redesigned that and you know, it's kind of built off of the Webflow site. And we set up, uh, we used a tool called Swift Type, which does real-time autocomplete search on whatever site you want. So if you're in the app, you can search the help site really easily and it's instant autocomplete. Sounds like a minor thing, but given how much we spend on customer service, you know, this is the type of thing that has the potential to really make a difference on our margins. Is, is you said swipe key? Uh, Swift type. Swift type. Sorry, I uh, totally missed that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, no worries. It's Swift, basically is it it'll like it, it'll index your site the way Google does or something, but it's like a search engine you personally control, and then you can kind of embed search bars wherever you want. Is it a no code solution, or does it require coding skills? It's no code. So the way we broke up responsibilities here, Eunice, who's our marketing person, she took the she's owning the Webflow project, so she moved the help site over set up Swift type, no coding or anything like that. In order to embed it in our actual app, that got handed off to Kelly, who's, she's a programmer who implemented the in-app help dialogue. If you wanted to do this no code, you just, when you click help at the bottom left, it would just immediately open the Webflow site. It, that, it would be a piece of cake to do that. So this, so the search is available in the Webflow account and available in the app. And did, did, do they have sort of a JavaScript plug and play uh, that you could use for the app if you were mm-hmm. not a programmer? Yes, yes. Um, that's what we're, we're using their JavaScript library to like power the autocomplete stuff. It's a little clunky and kind of the documentation's not great if you're a coder. If you don't, if you don't want to own the experience, it's much easier. It's just put this JavaScript snippet in, it'll turn that text field into a searchable thing and you're done. We wanted to really customize the experience and it was kind of a pain in the ass and needed quite a bit of code, but it wouldn't have to. Yeah, but you basically use the same JavaScript based JavaScript to embed it and then just added some some better experiences around that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. That yeah, sounds so, great. I was wondering about a search tool uh f- like that this this weekend when I was thinking about the help site and you you solved a problem there for me. I should say it's not cheap. Their cheapest plan is $80 a month. Um, for us, it's a no-brainer. You know, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on support, so it's like $80 a month to reduce the amount of trouble tickets we get is a no-brainer, but harder to justify, I think, for you know an early-stage company. I saw that you uh, tweeted about this and that you, previously to, previous to this search tool in the app, you had always uh, put... Instead of putting help articles first, you would always put contact a coach or reach out via form, um, mm-hmm. or I don't know if you have chat or not, but call a number. Um, and it sounds like now you've shifted to, hey, see if you can solve this problem on your own. And then if you can't, contact us. Yeah, That's exactly. a big shift. It's huge, yeah. Um So yeah, before if you clicked help, there were two columns, but the left one and, you know, English speakers read left to right. So much more emphasized was, here's our phone number, here's our email address, here's a contact form. And then on the right, it was like, oh, or if you want, here's some links to the help site. Um, Now it's one column, and the first thing is a search bar, and it's just like, what do you need help with? Type it in here. And then below that is a link to sections on the help site. So it's like, you know, here's our our beginner resources, here's our FAQs, here's, you know, information on whatever that's maybe six links or something. And then below that is like, still can't find what you're looking for, contact us. Um, which is, a lot of companies do it that way. I realize this isn't like that innovative or whatever, but it's really important to me we're not hiding the contact form. So I was a little gun shy about this for a long time. I was like, if we're doing this, does this like send the message to our customers that we are not as focused on support as we were? And I was just wrong about that. I'm pretty confident. Like, 
most people, you've said this to me, most people don't want to talk to support. <laughs> so I think this is a win-win that the people who need to talk to support, it's still one click away. It's one extra click versus what it was before. But we're not hiding it. We're not saying you have to search before you can contact us or anything like that. Uh, but I don't know. I think maybe 20% of our contact forms and, and phone calls could could go away, potentially. I mean, I'm just making up a number. And you, when did you roll this out? Tuesday. So uh, we're, you know, two days into this, I guess. I feel like you should be able to, to sort of get, have a guess on whether this is impactful by now. The problem is there's a lot of noise in uh, support volume. So it has been slower, but it's. I think it's too early to say it's because of this change. But like I, I did my one hour of support yesterday and it was dead. Like the team was completely caught up on support at like 9, 10 a.m. So 10 minutes after the day started, which is very rare. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think it'll, it'll Tyler, probably make a difference, but not huge. Yeah. You pick the right day to do support. Uh, yeah. Well, this is a joke that the support people say is anytime a dev is on support, nothing comes in. So they're like, we need to schedule devs all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, yeah, I'll report back once we know more. I, it's really hard not to get your hopes up here and be like, oh, this could just magically, you know, better user experience, 20% or whatever percent less support. I'm trying not to get my hopes too high that that's going to happen, but I've failed. My hopes are high. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, um, what else do you got? Anything else you want to share related to the help site or, or Webflow transition? Um, uh, yeah, I have a few things. One thing I was curious about, uh, a colleague of mine is giving a talk at WashU uh, kind of as a recruiting tool for us. We give these talks to students. And the topic is how to succeed uh, as a remote intern. Because a lot of people will be doing remote internships next summer too, and they're kind of nervous about it. We don't need to dive super deep into this, but I was just wondering what your thoughts are on like, what just, does anything come to mind that you're like, this is what a college student doing a remote internship could do to really set themselves apart or succeed. And in particular, that wouldn't necessarily be a thing they need to do for an in-person one. So this is interesting to me because I just, I had five or six remote interns this mm -hmm. summer and you know they all did a great job but i think i think you know i think a lot I, I don't know that there would be much advice that you wouldn't also tell someone who's doing an internship most interns don't get as much out of their internship as they could if they approached it differently so mm -hmm. I, I hesitate saying this is specific to remote internship but basically like try to get as much responsibility as you can and ask tons of questions and, and learn, like do the things before they're due so that you can get more work. And it's like, mm. it's like, tr you know, treat this like an apprenticeship and learn as much as possible, ask for more and, uh, you know, d deliver things before they're due so that you can get more things, uh, you know, put, put, you know, I guess just take more ownership of or, the projects that you're being assigned to. Yeah. I, I agree. That's good advice. Generally, I think to tweak that to, th there's a theme for all of the advice that we're going to give, which is this happens much more naturally in person. And I think this applies to yours. In person, your boss can see you're a go-getter, you're getting stuff done early, stuff like that. Remote, you you have to tell them probably, right? You have to, you really have to overact and say, hey, I'm knocking on your door virtually, like give me more versus yeah. them like noticing it themselves. Yeah, and I would say that, I mean, you you may know more about regular internships to me, but I don't think like a lot of companies are expecting much out of their interns. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, again, it's like, it's sure, maybe you need to, I don't think it changes. It's like, listen, I'm, I want more work than you're giving me. Like, I, I have questions. Yeah. Can we, can I ask them? I, I don't know that that would be any different in person. You'd, I think no, you probably right. have to do that in person just as much as you need to do it remote. So, I mean, the th like the things that I go to that are remote specific are, you know, invest in good technology so that you look professional, you know, mm. on a zoom call, you know, do these, it's all these like little things that are related to the remote work setup, um, that would be different. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Like don't, don't make it so that other people think it's a pain to interact with you. <laughs> Yeah, right. like the, the the little things like the phone etiquette, and the, there's there's a there's a virtual meeting etiquette that's developing that students are probably getting it a little bit as part of their, you know, their classes. But you know, 
you need to yeah. invest, you need to, you know, have your background be nicer, put on a background screen, you know, and make sure your audio is not echoing, you know, like little things that make it, make, make yourself professional, just like you would tell someone in person, mm-hmm. you know, to, to wear nice clothes and tuck their shirt in or whatever, you know, you probably wouldn't tell them that, but, no. um, but polish yeah, your think shoes. about how other people perceive you and yeah. Okay, cool. That's helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Make yourself v- pleasant to be around virtually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What, did you uh, come up with any others? I'd love to hear them. Yeah. So I'm not actually, uh, Kelly, the developer I was talking about earlier is the one giving the presentation. I'm not, um, I, t- I brainstormed it with her and I'm forgetting some of the points, but one of the points I found really interesting is to kind of, uh, I said, I used the term overact earlier and the analogy here, I'm not like that knowledgeable about acting, but I'm going to butcher an analogy for that. If you're acting uh, like on film, on camera, you can act pretty naturally. If you're on stage, you have to overact. You have to talk louder and exaggerate everything and spit and wear bolder makeup because people are further away and they can't really pick up on the nuance as much. That's kind of an analogy I would give to remote etiquette, which is in person, there's body language and people can just see you at your desk when you didn't know they're looking. And there's so many more signals they can get. And so if you're remote, one of our pieces of advice is like, you have to deliberately communicate this stuff to people because they're not going to be able to pick up on it naturally. It's kind of vague. We have more specific, like here's an example of how to do that, but that's one of the points I know. That's great. Yeah. I think if you, what, what do you, what do you want the student to feel after this presentation? I mean, honestly, I, (laughs) If I'm being honest, I want them to feel like they want to work at Less Annoying CRM and I don't really care about <laughs> what else they but feel. The, yeah, but the way that you're going to do that is by helping them, you know, get value out of the presentation first and secondarily yeah. see your differentiation as an employer. What is what is the takeaway that you want them to have related to the topic? Um, one of our takeaways, so this is going to be to a group of computer science students and I, I've presented to this group a number of times in various about various topics. And one of the big takeaways always is you're in a computer science department at a top university. You keep being told over and over that the key to success is being like an uber nerd, brilliant algorithms programmer person. The actual key to success is being a good communicator and being a good person to work with. And like, you're already smart and a good programmer. That's not the way you're going to fail. The way you're going to fail is by not putting enough effort into uh, the other stuff. I love that. People don't believe you when you, they, they hear it and they're like, it's like they need multiple touches and this is the first. And it's like, when you're 25, that'll really sink in. <laughs> yeah. You, call me when you're 25 and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, yeah, I've got some other stuff, but I've been talking a lot. What's what, what else is on your list here? Well, I already talked about creating the infrastructure for leg up health, legupbenefits.com. It's cool to have a brand. Uh, one thing I would like to share related to that is I, I took, I took Webflow made this really easy. I took all the infrastructure I built for the marketing site for Leg Up Health once I separated it and cloned it to Leg Up Benefits, and then I just changed the primary color designations, the color palettes, and it updated mm-hmm. the whole site. So it's got all the templates and sort of uh, uh, what do you call them elements that I've built, uh, you know, for Leg Up Health purposes. But they're now rebranded for Leg Up Benefits, and so I can repurpose a lot of those things with new text, pictures you know, navigation and have a pretty good website. So I thought that was pretty cool how they, how easy they made that to port over. Yeah, that's awesome. I I can just feel the lock-in with Webflow. Like life, life is so easy. It's like, what if we ever have to move off of this? <laughs> the final uh, update I have with, with the blog is, uh, is that, or not the blog or the website is I launched the blog, um, mm-hmm. which I've been holding off on doing for a while, but it was. We're about to release a bunch of health insurance guides uh, for Utah. We're going to have every health insurance plan available in Utah. We'll have its own page on legupheath.com. That's brilliant. You're going to yep. kill it. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, it's part of preparing for those guides, which are going to be, you know, there's going to be a state page and then a select health uh, uh, insurance company page uh, and then a plan page um, that has all the details. And but you know. Th- those kind of fit into a larger, what I would call resource section of a website. 
And mm-hmm. so prior to building those pages out and the data structures for those, I took a time to think about the blog and other things and how resources at, you know, sort of resources, uh, resources offering at Leg Up Health would filter down into a blog, guides, eBooks, that kind of stuff. And so I built out that structure and launched the blog as part of that. And then uh, the guide should go up in a couple of weeks. So we're going through a similar process. Like we are obviously have legacy stuff. We made these decisions in the past, but since we're porting the whole marketing site, we're rethinking how should this actually be structured. In your mind, what goes on a blog versus, well, let, let me start there. On a corporate website, a SaaS company or you know a tech company, what type of content goes on the blog versus other formats? Well, I think it depends on on your content strategy first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think so. I think a blog can go one of two ways. You can be a news blog, you know, kind of a current event blog, and you cover what's hot. Or you can invest in true articles on a blog. Um, so for for Leg Up Health, we're not going to do news content. If we need to do a, a news, we'll do a tweet or a LinkedIn post, or you know, include it in text in a newsletter or do a press release. Um, blogs are going to be evergreen articles um, related to some combination, some some specific something that is more. We want to go into more detail or a standalone topic on related to a guide that we have. So um, it's going to be a combination of different things. So I look at it as as not a not a traditional blog in that sense. We call we don't even have, call the blogs posts. We call them articles. So, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of like the structure of a blog, subscribe. You know, there's going to be you know list a list of all articles. We're not going to have any dates on on the on our articles that are they'll go on the blog because to force evergreen. But I could see another company saying you know we want our blog to be very date specific and newsy, um, which a lot of we kind of had both of these at, back in the day at Zane Benefits on our blog. So I'm, you know, I think first you got to define what kind of content you want to write and where, and then make these decisions independently. So just to make sure I understand your strategy here, the blog, like the courses are sort of the, the quote unquote product you're quote unquote selling to the customer before they're ready to buy your real product. Like it's kind of a tofu mofu type of deliverable. The blog is the lead gen for the courses. So you, you, a blog post is what the, f- the first page a person sees if they Google or whatever a topic, they see that. And then you say, you got value out of this blog post. Do you want the full course? Is that the idea? Sort of. Um, I wouldn't think of, I, I don't think it's appropriate to think about it in terms of cu- customer journey. I think it's type of content more so. So, so guides are going to be more long form and they're going to have different components um, you know, that start at a high level, macro level and, and go into the weeds. I think articles are sort of, you know, standalone. Um, they have, a, you know, probably a very, you know, I, I look at them as there are certain parts of our content that we're going to want to combine together into one and do a special on. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I think of a, a blog article as a special uh, type of content that doesn't really get hit on in a guide. So there's a separate type of thing that's not news or it's sort of like news, except it's not like about the world. It's about you. So we, most of the content we create right now is, Hey, we have new features or here's a help article. It's not a help article, but like, here's an article about like about us that are like people who are already interested in us would be interested in. Do you think you put that with your strategy in the blog or is that like a whole separate thing? I think it depends. Um, so this is getting into the help article discussion. So I'm, I'm unsure of whether there's like like I, the help, how broad the help section is and if that's at this resource section or if it stays in the subdomain. So that's a separate decision. Yeah. I probably want to move it to the www and put most of the product specific stuff in the help articles that are evergreen. But then you've got this weird thing of I've got news related to me. Right. And it's and not I, evergreen. And I, my view is put that in a newsletter uh, and, you know, maybe do a press release on it, have a special place for that on the blog, but not have it. It's not a resource. Right. It's an I announcement. Agree it's not a resource. It's an announcement. Yeah. So I th- for this reason, what we're, we're currently leaning is keep the blog, like eventually we will have a resources section, but the blog is actually not under the resources section. The blog would be company news. We, like almost everything our customers want is product updates and stuff like that. Doesn't belong in the help site, but it's not like a resource for a new person. Does that seem 
reasonable enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really just a, how you want to do it. Like, what do you want? Yeah. At the end of the day, a blo- what is a blog? It doesn't have a rule around it. All it is is something that sort of has this idea of you have articles that have dates and tags and categories. You know, and you could have a you could have a blog technically for your announcements, and you could have another blog for other types yeah. of things. You're just trying to use one. You're, you're making your blog kind of everything. Um, you know, as far as blogging goes, uh, I'm making my blog very specific, um, and, and saying no to things. I, I probably, if, if I'm being honest, the, if I did press release, if we did press releases, I could create a blog for those press releases, you know, like it, same structure, they would be press releases and, or announcements with tags and categories, um, that, that, uh, aren't evergreen on the about page. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, it's nice that you're so. So you're getting your blog. Your blog is launched, or at least the, the framework for it. I, mean, I don't know if you have content yet. Yeah, I wrote a, a welcome. I, I remembered. Do you remember when we launched Clarifying Health, which was Zane Benefits mm-hmm. blog? It's now hosted at PeopleKeep.com. I think it's PeopleKeep.com/slash/blog. But we when we wrote that, we started that blog. You were so excited that we started a blog. Do you remember this? Yeah, uh, you were like you pushed Paul and I to start the blog. I was I was hesitant. Paul was like had no idea what a blog was, um, and then. You basically did an intro post. It's still on peoplekeep.com's website, by the way. I can't believe you guys didn't take that down. Yeah. Like it's it's not good content. <laughs> yeah. So I read that and I was like, I like the idea here of an of, of an announcement post, but I don't like the content. No offense, Tyler. Um, you probably wouldn't rewrite that post the same way today. No, I, a couple of years ago I looked back and, and read through my you know, these posts are 10 years old when I'm reading them and I'm like, this should be take all of this should be taken down. Every post I wrote should be gone. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, uh, anyway, I, I kind of took the, the idea of announcing the blog and wrote some things about, you know, what my, why we're writing, why are we doing a blog? What's it going to be about in terms of topics and what you can sort of expect in terms of quality and constraints and Mm -hmm. kind of an invitation to subscribe and follow. Yeah. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm going to write one on open and now that I have a blog, I can write. So, I'll have an, I'm going to write, I'm probably going to write an article on open enrollment, like what you need to prepare for open enrollment, uh, this week. I'm so jealous of your content opportunities. Like no one in the world cares about CRM software, at least none of the people I'm actually trying to sell to. Everybody has no choice, but to care about what you're going to write about. And you're the only person who knows this and has the like foresight to create content about it rather than just like sell, you know? There's a lot of people who create content about it, but it's not actually educate. It's conversion content, not right. educational content. And so I think I think Leg Up Health has a huge opportunity to really put on the we're not selling here, we're just educating and build some really great content, more like inter, kind of like Intercom's content. I think Intercom does a terrific job of of their content. Like their ebook on jobs to be done back in the day when they were first getting started was like pure mm-hmm. gold, you know, and just made you love Intercom. I think we have similar opportunities, and you know you know, that I, I, that I think will make consumers go, wow. And then re- they'll realize at some point, you know, oh, Leg Up Health built this. Who's Leg Up Health? Well, they can help me even more than I thought they could. I'm going to sign up for an account. I agree. Although I think there may be a difference between what Intercom did and what you're doing, which is I bet the people you get are much closer to a buying event because they're like, oh shit, I have to figure this out in the next week and buy versus they're not like Googling this throughout the year to like lead into it, it's, right? It's B2B versus B2C, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's the same thing that you're dealing with a less annoying CRM. People, you know, are care about CRMs at certain points, but they're not, usually when they care about them may not be the same moment that they want to buy. So they're in different mindsets. With a, with a consumer, it's like, I need to buy, how do I buy? And then you research to make that transaction and so, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we have some content that we can once we have some base level content, which is like the core, um, gu- you know, the guide stuff that we're doing. I'm hoping that we can create some interesting content that makes people engage. That because of the insight that it provides, uh, it 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 makes people interested in the content by itself versus as part of their buying journey. Um, but that's you know that's a I think a tall tall order to figure out. Yeah, something that I've, not that I've really cracked the content game, but I used to think, you know, the model is you create content that like gets SEO juice and then get them on a newsletter and send them an email once a week. And it's like, 
people like there are other ways to do this because I don't think anyone wants a healthcare or not anyone, but I think the majority of your market doesn't want to be on a newsletter about healthcare. And the same thing's true for my my audience. Totally. Cool. Talk about these shoes. What shoes? You've got an item on oh, your, I'm, I your got list. Two, for... I got two new pair of Kohans. So we <laughs> talked a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was two weeks ago or one week ago about the Slack collaboration with Kohan, which you basically called me out for being ridiculously stupid about. I and called them out for being stupid. <laughs> I think you said something about in the show notes about me hating, me liking some really ugly, stupid shoes. Something like that. Yeah, I, so I don't yeah. know if they're ugly. I have no taste in shoes, to be clear. But Slack put their logo on a pair of Cole Haan shoes, and that caused you to buy a pair of Cole Haan shoes, which I find ridiculous. But I, it sounds like you're happy with them. Well, so I bought the same model that Slack collaborated on. I did not buy a Slack shoe. I want to clarify that. My shoe does not have <laughs> Slack anywhere on it. It doesn't have any of the colors. It's kind of a black and gray. So I bought two pairs of shoes. One is a totally different shoe. It's more of a, a kind of a kind of a van style Kohan, which I, I really like. I'm wearing them right now. They're gray. Um, if anyone's interested, I'm happy to send you a link to the ones I bought. I highly recommend them. The other pair that Slack collaborated on are called the Zero Grands. That's the model name. I put them on and they don't feel so great. And I'm used to like uh -oh. really, really loving Kohans. When, it, when I put them on, it really takes a couple of wears to break them in. I'm going to have to wear those a couple of times before I can can say, you know, how I feel about them. But they're the cloth kind of mesh shoe. And I've never had one, a pair of those before. So maybe that's just, maybe that's just how those things fit. There's a metaphor here that there's this great old world business making wonderful shoes that you love. And then the second tech gets involved, it just ruins it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Okay. Well, let's take a break and talk about our first ever sponsor of the show, Cole Hahn. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Uh, You're like, yeah, we, we should have a sponsor. We should be getting paid for this. Uh, yeah. this is, I mean. Except that you didn't like them. So next time say you liked them and we'll try and get a gift basket or something. All right. <laughs> um, okay. I wanted to give a couple of shout outs. Uh, one is to Demodesk. I've talked about Demodesk in the past. As a reminder, this is we used to use Join Me as like a screen sharing tool with our customers. Demodesk is a SaaS product specifically, unlike something like Zoom, where yes, you can share your screen with people, but Zoom's just a general purpose video chat tool. Demodesk is specifically designed for like companies like ours to give demos to people. Um, Who, who's the founder of of Demodesk? I. No. no, no, we don't. I, I don't know the person. Okay. Um, they're, they're like a YC funded okay. company. Okay. Okay. So I assume they'll disappoint me in the future. But uh, they're just it's it's surprising until you use it. You're like, well, what's wrong with join me or Zoom or whatever for sharing my screen with my customers? I mentioned I had my support hour earlier this week and I needed to use Demo Desk for the first time in a while. And you're using it and you're just like, wow, they really thought how this should work. And it's just a ton of little things, like nothing major, but it all adds up to really being a great experience. So if you need to give demos to customers, I recommend Demodesk. That's our second sponsor. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, wait, wait, wait. I feel like, yeah. man, if, if we could get paid for mentions on this po podcast, that'd be kind of cool. I think we need listeners first. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the other there's, shout out there, I want to give. There's a feeling though when you can go to Apple and hear someone say your name that yeah. is worth something. That's true. I said I'm in this mastermind group uh, and I listened to the podcast of one of the people on the mastermind group and they mentioned it and said my name. They were like, Tyler King is the mentor. And I was like, that's me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you paid for that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what other shout outs do you have? Uh, have you read the book Turning the Ship Around? Gosh, it is by that metaphor L. Is, David Marquette. I don't know, but that metaphor is a very important one in terms of uh, like change change management. Yeah, so it's actually not about change management. What is it? Um, it's uh, so I'm I'm only a little over halfway done, so maybe I'll hate the second half. But it's written by a former submarine captain uh, in the U.S. Navy, and basically the premise is he took over a sub that was like lowest ranked in however you rank subs, like how quickly do they do maintenance or whatever, uh, and how he got it to be like the highest ranked sub in the Navy or something like that. 
and it's basically the the tag so the title is turn the ship around and then the subheader is a true story of turning followers into leaders so it's really about mm. empowering people who work for you to make decisions themselves um instead of like he he calls it the the leader follower model is the traditional model and the leader leader model is what he's advocating for it sounds really like business bullshit book and it, it there's a little bit of that but i actually think it's more tangible than a lot of these types of books and i've i've enjoyed it uh, turning the ship around turn the ship around turn yeah. the ship around yeah i have to check this out is it a how yeah. long how many pages um it's kind of like a typical business book size but i'll say it's a much more engaging read because half of it is like cool navy shit um i'm not like a huge military fan or whatever but it's more interesting than i went into the conference room and whatever when they're like we had a missile we had to fire you know um so it's it's a more interesting read just because it's about it's not about business but it's still about leadership that's cool um and just like one specific concrete example like he like one of the things that his team did is rather than people coming and asking him something they would come and say i intend to do blank and he could say yes or no so it still had a leadership model but just like a little language changer saying i intend to do this kind of made people feel empowered and and then the next thing he taught them was any think before you say this to me think about all the questions i'm going to ask and need to know before i approve it and tell all of that to me before i ask right yeah, totally which gets people it's it's not just about making the leader's life easier but it gets people thinking like a leader and thinking what are all the things that could go wrong about my original proposal that is a, that actually is really useful. Um, I, I tried this so to do this so hard at People Keep, and I everyone looked at me like Rick. We you, it seems like you want us to read your mind because that's what it feels like when you're telling someone to be a leader. What mm -hmm. he's basically saying is, read my mind, but not read my mind. Read anyone's mind who would be in my position. Right. Think like me. And yeah, but he's not telling them that. He's saying it, and he's giving them a specific task that forces them to do it. Brilliant. That is, that alone right there might be worth me reading this because that was my biggest challenge. As I, and you probably are getting to this point too with Less Knowing CRM, where you're like, I want people not to follow anymore. I want them to be leaders. This is, mm -hmm. a, are you seeing any applications that you can take to, to Less Knowing CRM? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot. I'd say not all of them are applicable because it, it's, you know, the Navy is a huge organization. And I actually think, it's a mistake for a small company to behave like a big one. And to some extent, one of the advantages a small company has is that the leader can know everyone and know everything that's going on. And you, you don't have the inefficiencies of like, how does information bubble from one level to the next? So a lot of the stuff I read, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, but I don't think it applies to me. But a lot of it, I think, does apply. Um, one really interesting topic to me, we've got a really talented customer service team. This is great. But it's a challenge because talented people need to be challenged. They need growth opportunities. And after you do customer service for long enough, it becomes repetitive. The book gave me a lot of interesting ideas on like how to empower them to be their own leaders, sort of. So uh, as soon as I'm done with it, I'll give it to Michael, who's the, the head of that team. I think that's probably the main area that it'll benefit us is how do we let people be be leaders of their own little thing so they feel like they're still growing and learning and not just like a drone or a cog in a machine. How can we have leaders be our, our existing leaders be leader multipliers? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like another really cool thing is talking about how it gets people promotions. Now, again, we don't really have exactly promotions the way a big company does, but the, when you're thinking, what is my boss going to ask me when I say I intend to do this? You're preparing yourself you're, for the role. Yeah, exactly. So like it, it, a lot of really cool stuff in this book, I think. I think I actually some, can you can yeah. you do this applies to the internship conversation we were having earlier. I'm mm. wondering if you can take something out of this book and put it in the presentation and be like, listen, um, what you want to do as an intern is think like the you want to think like the intern, the manager that you're interning with is giving you the project and add value that way. This 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 framework is very useful. I, I see so many applications already. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, this is going to segue perfectly into what I believe your next topic is, because I heard about this book from the podcast uh, Software Social, which sounds like you're going to talk about. Oh, wrong about that? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to follow the transition there. Like, what's, what's he talking about here? Yeah, so um, Michelle 
and Colleen at Social Software Pod, the Social Software po- Podcast. I think it's Software Social, is it not? I'm terrible at this, so if I screw that up, I am so sorry. Software Social Podcast. Um, they did an episode on health insurance recently, and I it was f- incredibly painful to listen to. So I think that was a that was like a good podcast because I spent my whole career in health insurance, and so hearing other people talk about health insurance. And not being able to weigh in was really, really hard because I've never actually experienced that before. I've, you know, like where, where do you experience that? So uh, anyway, they're they're in the cohort, Indie Hackers cohort, podcast cohort with us um, to try to f- improve our podcasts. And uh, they, Michelle knows her health insurance stuff. What The pain and suffering that she and her husband went through in founding their company to figure out how to get health insurance is a four, full 30-minute conversation. 30 minute story. And then the best part is at the very end, they move to a different country and all her work gets thrown out. So that's a preview <laughs> of the episode if you want to do it. Um, Colleen, the whole time was, you know, in that episode was, this is overwhelming. This is overwhelming. And I'm thinking to myself, exactly. This is why Leg Up Health exists. Um, so it was kind of cool to hear two entrepreneurs talk about it. What I can't figure out though, and I, I, I wondered if, you know, if, you, if <laughs> we haven't talked about this face to face yet, but like, I just can't believe there's no like no mention of premium tax credits in a lot of these conversations because uh, premium and premium, for those of you who are listening that don't know what I'm talking about since 2014 if you buy a health insurance plan on the individual market uh, and you go through the marketplace uh, you know or the exchange is what some states call it if you make less than a certain threshold of money which most founders early founders do you actually have your health health insurance costs capped and paid for by the by the federal government as a percentage of your income, and so you could technically have free health insurance, uh, at, at, you know, depending on what plan you pick. And no one seems to mention that when they talk about the pains and sufferings of founders. And um, you know, I just can't. It's kind of like shout out to them for talking about it, but also kind of ranting a little bit uh, about. I can't figure out why no one wants to talk about premium tax credits because when a leg up health client learns what about premium tax credits and they didn't know about it before, they had this huge aha moment and it's like, wow, this is great. Yeah. I've had the same experience you do that. Um, yeah, almost every founder, especially early stage founder is making an amount of money where in the eyes of the government, you're like, you know, poverty wage employee, basically. Um, but I've, other than from you, I've never heard anyone talk about this. And it's it's interesting because you when you follow up on stuff and you say, "What about? Have you looked at premium tax credits?" It's like, it's like you don't like no one heard you. No one wants to like even talk, engage on the subject. Yeah, and so I I can't figure it out. I uh, um, anyway, I, so what it tells me though, and I think is the important thing is that there's a huge opportunity for Leg Up Health to educate in this area, and if we can. You know f- what we're focusing on should lead to a lot more founders, you know, feeling comfortable about their health insurance options when they first start their company, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I agree. There's a big opportunity there. I also think though there's there's something else that's more complicated. Like I, I had this with my employees, where for a long time we have group insurance now, but for a long time they had individual, and I was like, the company is paying you more than your market rate so that you can afford it. Like, what's the problem? And they were just like, individual insurance breaks my brain. And and I'm, it's like, yeah, the, the whole system's fucked. And you look at any other country and you wish you were there. But th- there's something like beyond irrational about how people think about individual versus group insurance. You and I have talked about this on Slack. And um, I don't know if you're ever going to crack that and figure out what it is. But if you did... Holy crap! There'd be a lot of value to unlock if you could just get people to accept that individual insurance is like a valid thing. Totally. And what's interesting about Leg Up Health is I'm I'm targeting professions that have already had that acceptance moment. And yeah, yeah new first time founders have are aren't there. They're coming from group. Yeah, I think it's probably the number one reason people are afraid to leave their job and start a business. I, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, that's helpful. Thank you. Cool. Um. All right. You have a, uh, a new topic to discuss. You want to spend the rest of the time on that? Sure. Um, so which I, I, this is a, a topic that's been on my backlog for a while. And 
it's probably not something I need to solve today with like up health, but I, I need to start thinking about how I'm going to solve it before I start hiring people. And so I wanted to have the conversation today, uh, uh, and, and, and get it out there. So you've mentioned in passing that sometimes you have after hour support and weekend support. And, and I go, how do you have a great culture, you know, and, and people like working at less knowing CRM and then ask them to come in on the weekends or stay late at night or come in early in the morning. And so I'm, you know, I may never do that with leg up health, but during open enrollment, I may have to. And right when I'm the only person doing that, uh, I can, make that decision, but how do you build, Mm -hmm. how do you build that into the model and not have it be a sweatshop? Yeah, I think this is an interesting topic. I'm, I'm excited to give you all my thoughts, but also I should say like, I I don't feel like I've cracked this. Um, I think we're doing better than some companies are, but this isn't something like this comes up a lot when I'm talking with Michael about the future of the customer service team and potential problems and stuff like that. Yeah. You want to hire smart, talented people. Smart, talented people know what they're worth. They know they don't have to work at night and they don't have to work on weekends. And there are other jobs out there that won't ask them to. So if you ask them to, you've got a bit of a dilemma, right? One thing I should say for us, we don't do evening support. We do weekend. Um, And we, it's not full support. So we don't do any demos during weekends. We don't do any phone calls at all. It's just kind of moderate, like monitoring the email queue. And it's our, our approach is whoever's on support, one person takes a weekend and then we give them two days off. So, or I think it's two days. So they're basically working not full time for two days and getting two days off. So first of all, that's part of the trade-off is it's sort of like, you can almost think of it like overtime pay, even if they're not being asked to work overtime, like they're getting compensated more for that time. All they have to do is check the email queue in the morning, check the email queue at night, Saturday and Sunday. And these are salary I'm, people. These are salaried people, right? And what are the what are, what are your normal customer service hours, and how does that change on the weekend? Yeah, so we say customer service hours are nine to five Central Time. Um, in reality, we hope our CRM coaches choose to shift their hours around a little. So someone will come in. I think normally we have one or two people coming in at seven or eight in the morning. So by the time our official hours start, like a lot of emails have been handled and stuff like that. And depending, like sometimes people work later, it, but it's kind of like an opt-in thing. It's like, if you want to shift your hours, you can, but we don't promise to customers. So from, from a customer per- perception standpoint, it's nine to five, seven days a week. Um, it's, it's nine to five. So we don't actually post this anywhere. I should say, okay. uh, they will get a guaranteed quick response nine to five Monday through Friday. They will get a response over the weekend. This is actually something related to what I was saying earlier about changing the help uh, dialogue that pops up. We actually put a lot more communication in there here. So if they go to, if they're like, I don't want to search for a help article, I want to contact you. If we're off hours, we explain how they, like, we say, you probably don't want to call us because we're not here. (laughs) We will be back at this time. Um, And it's a different message if it's at night versus a weekend. Over the weekend, it's like, we're still monitoring emails. It might be a little slower than normal. If it's at night, it's like, we'll get back to it tomorrow morning. So I think a big part of this is just communication. Like, communicate to people what they can expect. Don't let them down. And the customer... Like, we're, we're talking about this from the angle of how do you have the employees do this. There's like a customer expectation side that really has a big influence on this, I think. Um, sometimes customers call and complain. I got one of these today. It wasn't actually about the hours. Sorry, I said today. It was uh, yesterday. They weren't complaining about our hours, but they were complaining. They tried to call us and they got voicemail a few times. Um, we always have someone answering phones, but that's, it's one person. If someone calls in, the next person gets voicemail. And every time we just say, here's the deal. Like we've prioritized quality over quantity. Um, we hire really good people. It, when you talk to someone, they're going to be able. They're going to be smart. They're going to know the system. They're going to be empowered to help you. Uh, but the reality is that means a that you know we, we have an office in St. Louis. These are salaried employees. They don't they don't work nights and weekends. And b it means we have fewer people. So we could outsource this to India, have twenty four hour service and all that. But would it really be better if someone picked up the phone and didn't know the answer to your question? I've never had a customer disagree with me when I said it that way. Why aren't you explaining to this as part of your positioning and messaging from free trial all the way to, to the help site? I'm not sure it really comes up 
honestly. Have, have you experienced this, that like people want to talk about this with you? I've experienced that customer service, really good customer service is a differentiator. And once mm-hmm. people understand that you really are different and that that gives you points. A hundred percent agree. A lot of people think the way you differentiate customer service is by saying, oh, 24 seven, five minute response time. We, rather than saying, here's why we're not 24 seven, we say, here's what, like why we are good. Um, oh, so you do do that. You go, hey, here's here's our hours. Here's why we have these hours and here why, here's why we're awesome. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying we don't address the hours. So I'm just going to read our, um, like on our homepage, it says best customer service. That's one of our three kind of value pillars. We offer free phone support and email. Uh, we, we offer free phone and email support, even if you're not a customer yet. From live demos to help importing your contacts, we're here for you. It's very, very brief. I don't think there's time, there's space to say, oh, also, let me get all defensive about why we're not 24-7. I actually think that that puts you on the defensive and isn't a good look. No, I think I think this is, I'm more focused on, um, I think you've, you've answered my first question there. I guess what I'm saying is when someone's on, is is in this software on a Saturday and using your help tool and they get, mm-hmm. they want to call. Do you make it, it sounds like you say you can call or we don't recommend you do it. Like, how are you handling that and setting expectations yeah. for them before they call? Right. I'm happy to look at the language. Um, although it's, it's hard to test because you have to be off hours to actually see it. Uh, yeah, you're right that we're probably not selling it a lot, although that's just for the sake of brevity, I think. It's like, I get one sentence to communicate to this person, so let's make it work. Yeah, totally. So, okay, back to the, the kind of flying back up to the topic level. Do you do you think that the 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. service is fine? Why, why do you even do weekend support? I don't understand. Um, a couple of reasons. First of all, some of our, a, a decent chunk of our customers, definitely a minority, but a decent chunk are doing whatever they're using us for are like, it's a side business. So they have a full-time job. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the bank is only open when you're at work, but you're at work. So don't you wish the bank was open another time? Part of it's making it accessible for that. Part of it is keeping things from being too much of a clusterfuck on Monday morning when you come in. Um, and it, it is a differentiator, I should say. A lot of people are blown away that we reply to them on the weekend. This probably depends what industry you're in, but our customers can tell what good service is. And they're, they're like, there are other companies that would pick up the phone right now and they wouldn't know the answer. Or there are companies that wouldn't respond at all. You responded to an email with a high quality response on a Sunday. They're blown away. So... I just, I, I was really insecure about this in the early days. You think you need 24-7. You think everybody expects all this. If you're just good, but you do it on your own terms, I really think it's fine. And, and so uh, back to how you're doing this, you've got a, you've got a one person that comes in on the weekends. Do you rotate across service people? Yes. Everybody takes a turn. I'm a big servant leadership person. So I also do like actually this coming weekend, I'm on support. Um, I'm worse at it than everyone else. It takes me a lot longer, but it's just like, if I'm asking you to do it, I should do it too. And and outside of COVID, would you be in the office for this? No, you do this from home. So it's a remote, it's a remote. Yeah, they could come into the office if they wanted, but no one, I don't think anyone would. And it's just a rotation. Yeah. So if there's eight CRM it's an on, coaches. It's an on-call rotation like an engineer mm-hmm. would have on the weekend. You're basically exactly. treating service just like an on-call enge- engineer would treat the product. Yeah. It's maybe a little different in that if you're on-call, hopefully you don't get called. Whereas yeah. here, it's like there will be emails when you come in in the morning, but it's not a huge load or anything. Um, and yeah, p- and they get time off. In a perfect world, we want to give them enough time off that people actually volunteer, that they're like, I'd rather do more weekend support because it means I work less. We've tested this, and the reality is people really value their weekends. So they're happy to do it. They're like, this is part of the job. It's a team effort. But we have not yet got... We, we would have to offer too much time off for people to actually volunteer. How, like, if you... I mean, let's say we have a team of five. Would you just rotate across all five people regardless of their role for weekend support? I mean, we only have support people do it. Um, oh, so, but you do it too. I, I'm the only non-support person. Okay, who does got it. it. So, sorry, yeah. So, and then how many support people do you have? I think seven right now. So, so maybe there's eight of us total. So one weekend every seven weeks. Yeah, or yeah, eight. Plus, so something like that, yeah. Plus two days off following the weekend. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, it seems to work reasonably well. It, there are other approaches I've heard. Like one is maybe some people have a weird schedule and really want to work the weekend and, or for, for nighttime support, the a really common thing is hire remotely. If you're going to be a remote company anyway, just hire someone in Australia or whatever. Problem solved. This, we've we've discussed that. To me, it's really important that we aren't remote right now. I mean, we are remote. Everyone's remote right now. But like, we're a St. Louis based company. Everyone we're hiring is here. If that weren't true, this wouldn't the, the nighttime support wouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah, you just hire in a different time zone. Do you do you think that? I guess a couple questions. Um, what are the hours on the weekends? Like, when do they start and when do they end? If you're work if you're working a weekend. I'm not sure how well defined it is. We just kind of say clear clear out the queue once in the morning and once at night. So I normally, when I wake up, I do it. And then around 5, 4 or 5 p.m. I'll do it. But it's not super defined, I don't think. So basically, it's clear out the queue in the a.m., clear out the queue in the p.m. Whenever you do that in the a.m. or p.m. is up to you. Just clear it out twice. Yeah. And once it hits 5 p.m. Sunday, at that point, it's nighttime. So nothing that comes in after that is your job. That's Monday morning. Got it. So basically make sure the queue is clear by noon one time and then make sure the queue is clear again at five. And that's up to you. How you do that is up to you. Right. Is this going to be the right approach for everyone? Probably not. But I'll say we get like our customers love our support and they complement our weekend support specifically. So you may think you need to do more than this. And I, I would like challenge that assumption. You have different customers than us, though, so I don't know. I think uh, my experience. So the, the 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 my recent learnings have have told me that one thing that I wasn't preparing for was how people will procrastinate on their health insurance. Mm. And this is a year round thing. So in open enrollment, it means they're going to wait till twelve fifteen. You know, what day of the week does twelve fifteen fall on this year? I haven't looked yet. Let's go look. It's on a Tuesday. So that means. You know, there's going to be people on Sunday that I'm going to be wanting to sign up that day so that we have time to deal with problems that arise between the 15th. You know, on a on on a regular month, usually the deadline is either the 15th of the month for the covers the next the next first of the next month or the uh, for the 31st of the month or thir- the last day of the month. If those fall, days fall on a weekend, like mm-hmm. you know, like the, there is you have to be a full, you have to help them. Like you can't be their agent and not help them uh, on a deadline base uh, something that will like cause them to go without health insurance. So for, for, for leg up health, I don't think this is an option. Okay. I have two thoughts on that. First of all, schedule stuff in advance. That goes a long way. Um, if you can tell someone three months ahead of time, you're going to be working this weekend. That's very, very different from like Friday night at 4 PM. Like, actually I'm going to need you to come in. It sounds like you know the schedule. That's so, I so think you interesting. Can build it. Yeah, so that's interesting. Weekend support, you know, there's some base level weekend support that probably needs. It's more emergency related. Like I'm having a crisis with my health insurance. I had one of those mm-hmm. last weekend actually. So that's like that would be mimicking what you have um, as sort of a rotator schedule. But then there are these these pre like they're based on the calendar, right? They're based on whether the 15th falls on a Saturday or Sunday, or the 31st falls on a Saturday or Sunday, and if, if that happens, you know, we know in advance and we're going to need to plan for it and be even more fully equipped to handle volume on those days than the regular weekends. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting operational challenge, but it seems very solvable to be able to predict what what is the demand going to be. We need to staff for it. And then we, we need to make it up to employees, you know, if, if the 15th is really busy, 16th through 19th are, are slow periods. Totally. And I, I you know, to the listeners out there, I asked this question because it's something that I'm thinking about for the future. I in no way need to deal with this problem today. I'm the founder, solo founder, and I'm working on the weekends. If a client yeah. has a problem, I'm going to help them. Um, but Which I, good, I also did in the early yeah. days, right? I was picking up the phone at midnight if it rang. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, like this isn't a problem that I need to deal with right now. But by thinking about it this way, I'm going to take some of the things Tyler gave me and I'm actually going to apply them to my own schedules. Like one thing I can do right now is plan out all of open enrollment and what weekends I need to work. Like mm-hmm. that's easy to do. I, I mean, yeah, there's certain no weekends where I, with Sable. Though. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's there's little things that I'm going to take about this and implement as part of me doing it. And then some of these things we'll just have to deal with when they when we have people and 
it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll iterate from there, but it's give me a good base starting point. I, the, the other thing I wanted to mention is partially this is how do you do weekend and nighttime support? I think the bigger question is how do you do surge support? And that's less something you ask me and more something you ask to me, the number one industry that I don't know how they pull this off is accountants, mm. CPA firms. What are they doing April 14th? Talk to them. I bet they've got answers for you. And I think what, the impression I get is every single person goes on vacation April 16th. Yeah, there's probably, I mean, we dealt with this at Zane benefits to a degree too, because at the end of the year, you have, you, you, you lose your money if you don't use it. Mm, yeah. Um, and so you know, the way we did it was we, I mean, we basically just prepared our employees to have a shitty job in Q4. And, you know, I think what we did wrong was we, we didn't reward them for that in, in the summer. Yeah. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's throwing bodies at the problem probably. And, you know, I actually think this could be great. I almost wish I had a reason to do this because I really strongly believe that like adversity and like high high stress situations are a great way to build team and build culture. Um, and something about Less Knowing Serum, we don't have that really. The, the closest we've come is doing hackathons. You go and everyone's sleep deprived and stressed. And, it's, and at the end of it, you're like, I feel closer to these people. I think you could build your culture around this if you do it deliberately and say, this is going to be when we come together and we bond and late nights and ordering pizza and all that. And then everybody can go relax afterwards. I, I think it could be a good thing actually. Yeah. And you're going to have a ton, a ton of flexibility in the summers when your kids yeah. are, you know, your kids are home from school and, you know, but this period from, you know, 11, one to it's not even 11, one, it sounds like it's like 11, 15, you know, to 12, 15, it's one month. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, maybe it goes through sometime in January too, because, it, you know, they're going to be issued. I, I don't know yet because I haven't gone through it, but um, yeah, totally. I think, I think the, the, probably the, the biggest thing is you need to reward this. I need to re re reward it at a multiple of what people are giving. It's yeah. not just like a day for a day. It's, you know, it's a, it's a day for the equivalent of 10, you know, how do you give them that? And if you do that, then that'll get taken care of. Yeah. And make them feel appreciated and acknowledge that it sucks, but it's part of the job. And yeah. I totally recommend, and I totally agree with your comment earlier. Um, I, I didn't say this, but I want to. It's we, we had that same feeling during open enrollment, where even though if you if it is a crappy job, if you've got good people that you're working with and you're working on something really really hard, you do like develop relationships with people and a bond of like it's kind of like getting hazed as a fraternity. Yeah, you know, you know, how did our how did our relationship? I mean, form? totally. Yeah, everyone I mean, got laid off at the company except for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I told that story today at, at our meeting, and yeah. Um, so it's it, it's one of those it's one of those things where yeah, like it makes the company stronger. But if you don't, if you if you abuse that, it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. So there's like yeah, hackathons a great example. Treat open enrollment as the hackathon like the all nighter hackathons, but like, you know, this is the only time we're ever going to do this. Yep. I like it. Cool. Thank you for all that. Right. Yeah. You want to sign us off? Uh, anything else you want to cover? Uh, I don't think so. We're, this is a long one already. <laughs> uh, is it? I have no idea what time it is. Yeah. We're at an hour and seven minutes. Oh man. Sorry. If you made it this long, <laughs> I'd like to thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice um, because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, I appreciate if you tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics or visit show notes by Tyler, uh, sometimes he has some funny little jokes in there, um, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week. See you.